Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 594 for the 20th of Tamos in a regular year. So in yesterday's episode, we talked about the science of addiction. We talked about how it's possible for somebody to get to that state of becoming an addict and just how powerful that addiction is. We spoke about a very famous experiment involving rats in which rats were given the opportunity to press on a lever that would stimulate the certain points in the brain that are often associated with addiction that are very, very pleasurable in the moment and provide this instant gratification. And the lengths to which these rats would go to press this lever, even if it involved a lot of suffering, even if it involved starvation, they would still do whatever they could to press that lever to get that instant gratification. And we spoke about how this idea of addiction, well, we think of it in this way in terms of like being a heroin addict, uh, being a, a food addict, being a cigarette addict, all of these really big vices. The truth is, according to my opinion anyways, I think that addiction can be a really useful tool for helping us understand pretty much all of the downfalls of life, all of the times in our lives when we choose instant gratification over living in line with our highest self, meaning ultimately living in line with the will of our creator, this is in a sense the same mentality, the same mechanism by which an addict lives. Because if you really boil it down, there's this concept that a person would never sin unless a spirit of folly would enter into them. So there's this idea that when we sin, when we transgress the will of God, it's not me. Well, in the moment, it might feel like this is the most important thing for us to do. We must do this thing and we feel compelled to do whatever it is that we're doing. The truth is, if we were really living in a sane way, if we were living really living in line with our true self, we would never sin. Sin, by definition, is an act of insanity. It's an act of folly because ultimately on some deep, deep level, we know, our soul knows that doing something against the will of God is not only harmful to God, it's harmful to us and it's harmful to the world and it's harmful to everything, really. There's no good that can come from it. Nevertheless, we do it and we do it time and time and time again, right? That is the human condition. And that's because, just like we spoke about yesterday, the the, the force that compels us towards this instant gratification is really so powerful. This is something that God created us with this these compulsions, these instincts that are really so powerful that they can override our sane self. They can override our rational self that tells us, no, I don't want to be separate from my source. I don't want to be separate from who I am. But nevertheless, we do. And we fall again and again and again and again, which is okay because that is what it means to be human. And that 
that's what this whole entire section of of uh, the Tanya Yerushalayim is really all about is is how do you heal from the separation? How do you restore? So the fact that this whole section is all about that about shuva it's kind of insinuating that we're impl- we're it's implicit that you're going to sin that you're going to transgress that you're going to make mistakes you're going to mess up because this is what it means to be human again so today we're going to start to work a little bit away from the disease itself of addiction or of sinning in other words and we're going to start to learn what it means to heal how to heal from uh from transgression, how to do tshuva, specifically how to do the lower form of tshuva, which we'll get into this distinction as to what that means later on in terms of lower and higher tshuva. But so what we'll learn today is that there are actually two stages of tshuva, two stages through which we heal, through which we can be restored to our true self. And I think once again, it could be helpful to look at the idea, the examples of addiction to really come to understand this because the way that I see it, well, a full-fledged addiction, yes, it might be extreme. It might be something that most of us, thank God, might not be clinically diagnosed with, hopefully. However, I do think that addictions can be thought of as like caricatures of understanding the broader human condition, meaning that we are constantly at war with our instant, with our inclinations, with this, with this impulse that we all have within us for instant gratification and we're constantly fighting that urge we're constantly trying to live in line with our higher highest self and not just live for that instantaneous moment of instant gratification you could think about this like let's say you come home from work and you're starving and you really want to eat a good supper you know that that supper is going to be really good for you but then you look at the table and you see a box of cookies it's all of us know that temptation it feels it, it feels like it would be so good to just go and eat those cookies and sometimes maybe we do maybe we go for the cookies we go for the instant gratification when really the really nourishing uh, option would be to cook yourself a nice home-cooked meal right? Or let's say you have a lot of work to do. You have um, a lot of things to take care of and you open up your computer and Instagram pops up, Facebook pops up. And again, there's this instant gratification that we get through those likes, through those notifications that give us that instant dopamine rush. And it's really hard to fight against those temptations day after day after day after day. And this is what we, what we do. And sometimes we fall, maybe often we fall. This is also part of the human condition is falling and getting back up again. So today we're going to talk about that process of getting back up again. How is it that we, how do we recover from the fall? How do we do tshuva, in other words, in the, in the Hebrew language? And uh, specifically, we're going to be learning about tshuva tata, which is the lower tshuva. We're going to talk about higher tshuva a little bit later on. And what we'll learn is there are actually two basic stages to this tshuva. The first stage is compassion which means that you have compassion over your true self, your higher self, your godly self, in recognition of what it is that you have done to it, like how how much you're not in line with your true self. Like let's say you eat those cookies and you have this, and then you feel so gross afterwards, and then you say, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for my body that is craving real nourishment right now. So it's it's not so much about the guilt. It's not so much about feeling shame and guilt. It's more about feeling compassion. You feel a sense of compassion for your deepest and highest self. And then the second stage that we'll learn 
is actually subjugation. So subjugation, again, it's not shame, but it is about fighting and about oppressing that animal instinct, oppressing those forces, that force of instant gratification. So let's say day after day after day after day, you come home from work and you eat those boxes of cookies and you don't eat supper and you eat the box of cookies, you don't eat supper. You come to a point where something happens and you have this like moment of revelation, I'm not, I can't do this anymore. And you decide to eat supper. So the first level of that, again, is that feeling of compassion, is that you realize how poorly nourished your true, your body really is of actual nutrients, and you decide that you want to get healthy, and so you feel this compassion. That's the motivating force towards you getting healthier. The second stage, though, is where you have to put in the work, where you have to actually go and get rid of the cookies, and you know maybe you need to make sure that you don't have, you lock up any sweets that you have. You don't let yourself ever have cookies in your home or anything like that. So that's what we're going to learn about today is these two stages of recovery, two stages of chuva tata, in other words. And interestingly, maybe one of the reasons why I'm so, this this uh, topic of addiction is on my mind is I happen to be reading a memoir about a recovering addict. Um, it's called Love Warrior. It's a very good book. Anybody wants to read it. So anyway, so in the book, the woman is a recovering alcoholic and a food addict. And there's it's a whole story about her life and her marriage. And, you know, there's a lot of other themes and other addictions that come into play as well. But just focusing on her own addiction, I think it's really interesting that what you see in the story, and I apologize if this is a spoiler, if anybody reads it, but like people often say that when it comes to an addict, for an addict to come into a moment of recovery, they have to hit rock bottom. So this may be true in a certain sense, but I think that rock bottom doesn't necessarily have to mean that you hit like the bottom of the barrel, like you you get to this point where you're living on the street and you like don't have any friends or family or anything like that. I think rock bottom can really simply mean that something happens in your life that like hits you like a rock, some sort of something like shocks you into sobriety. So in the case of this woman in the story, that actually is what happened. Where what happened was that, she, and as we'll see, this is very much related to the two stages of healing that are that we're going to learn about in the Tanya. So she was uh, this party girl. She, for a lot of reasons, she had a very low self-esteem and she would just like, she, she was a bulimic and she was an alcoholic. She was also somewhat of a drug addict and she just like was really throwing her life away trying to escape reality and everything and one day she had an unexpected pregnancy I don't know how old she was but I don't think she was a teenager but I think she was pretty young like she was very unprepared for this really not ready to get married not ready for any kind of seriousness definitely not ready to have a child but there's this scene there's a really powerful scene in the book where she wakes up really hungover from another night of drinking and binging and everything like that and she's feeling really 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 nauseous and at first she thinks it's just the alcohol but then she starts to to have this suspicion that maybe it's something else because like just the nausea is so great and other things she's feeling in her body and she decides to go to uh to the store to get a pregnancy test and then you you see her you find her on the bathroom floor vomiting and really sick and really ill and then she looks over at that pregnancy test and she sees that it comes out positive and she has this thought that enters into her mind where she decides or she knows rather that she's going to have the baby 
And she feels, it's really amazing, she feels like this is a gift to her. She feels like somebody sent her a present in the form of a baby to really transform her life. So in other words, what she's feeling at that moment is this really deep sense of compassion for her unborn child and ultimately compassion for herself, ultimately compassion for the child, the baby that's within her and this feeling of great joy and hope over this new chance that she's been given. So the journey kind of just starts from there so that it all really begins with this feeling of compassion and it's motivated by compassion, her really transforming her life, overcoming her addictions, uh, she, getting married, she ends up getting married um, to the person, to, to, the, to her boyfriend who she became pregnant with. And so you really see that compassion, she has just this tremendous amount of compassion for herself. Her family displays compassion for her. It's really the primary drive behind her recovery. However, at the same time, maybe in terms of stage two, we can think about it. She needs to put in work and it's not easy. And you see how it's like she really struggles and she she is really tempted to go back to drinking alcohol, but she knows that she can't because of the baby. You know, you really you can't drink alcohol when you're pregnant and especially if you're planning on raising a child. So she really works hard to be sober. So in other words, what she's doing in terms of Tanya um, terminology is she's subduing her Yetzirah. She's sub subjugating the, e the evil inclinations, this inclination she has for instant gratification. She pushes it down. She breaks it to the point where she really is able to have control over it and is able to really become this very beautiful and healthy person. So Again, so this is an example of an addict and hopefully not all of us are addicts or maybe some of us are and that's okay too. But again, I think that this looking at this, the extremes of addiction is a really help, helpful way, can be a really helpful way for us to really understand the struggles of life in general, the struggles of what it means to be human. And the, and every time we go against our creator's will, anytime we do something, we transgress something, even if it's something minor, we often have a moment afterwards of sobriety where we wake up and we feel this like hangover kind of, and we're like, what did I do? Why did I do that? That was so stupid. And so today we're going to really learn about, again, those two stages of how to come out from this, how to do tshuva, how to return to God on this, that very basic level of the tshuva tata, of restoring the lower hay to its source, as as we say in, in Tanya ter terminology. So with that being said, let's get into the text and see how the Altarba explains all of this in a more kind of spiritual way instead of this more maybe human way that I've been describing it. So this is the beginning of chapter seven of Igerisa Tshuva, the Tractate of Tshuva. And the Altar Rabbi begins and he says that there are two elements involved in a general sense of Tshuva Tata, of lower Tshuva, which what does lower Tshuva mean? So we spoke about this before, um, in, especially at the end of yesterday's episode, we talked about this idea that lower Tshuva is restoring the lower hay to its source. So again, we have the Yudke Vavke, that's the Tetragrammaton, it's the four letter name of God. And we talked about in previous episodes how each one of those letters corresponds to a different um, aspect of God in terms of the spheros, and how the last He of that name 
is the source. It's like the funnel through which all of creation happens. So then when we think about our souls and when we think about how we were created in the image of God, the root of our souls really can be thought of in this lower hay, this lower, this lower hay tata. And when we sin, God forbid, when we transgress God's commandments, what we're doing is we're not only dragging our own souls down into the dirt and down into the sins, but we're actually drawing God down as well because sinning really ultimately is an obstruction in the will of God. So uh, the altar, but now, so going back to the text, so the altar says that to restore this lower hay, which is this lower chuba, um, how do we do this? There's two ways to do this in a general sense. The first way is to arouse a sense of compassion, of supreme compassion from the source of compassion on the, their soul and on their godly soul which fell down from its high place, from its high rooftop, which is life of life, blessed be he, into a deep pit, into an abira amikta, it's called in, in Aramaic, which is the, what is this deep pit? pit? This is the chambers of impurity and the sitra ahra, the other side. So again, so it's like when a person engages in some kind of transgression against God, what they're doing basically is they're taking their godly soul and they're bringing it down from its high place the source of our godly soul is in god which is the source of all vitality and they drag it down god forbid into the into the tuma into the impurity into the other side the side that obscures god and so the altar is telling us that the first thing that we can do the one thing that we can do in a general sense to do lower chuba is to have compassion to have mercy for this for this uh this part of the soul and and we do this by arousing divine compassion, which is the name of Havaya. This this tetragrammaton is the source of compassion. So we should arouse compassion from on high, from its source. As it says, and this is a, a quote from Ishayahu chapter 55, verse 7, where it says, Ve'yishov el Havaya ve'rachamehu, where it says, he shall return to God and God will have compassion for him. Meaning to say that we should have compassion, we should arouse compassion on the fact that this name of Havaya, this name of the Tetragrammaton, this holy name of God, got drawn down into the chambers of the Sitra Akhra and into the, uh, into the forces of impurity. And not only did it get drawn down into there, it actually is vivifying them. Because again, all vitality comes from God. So when this Yudke Vavke comes down into there, it's being forced to vivify them. So again, if we think about this idea of, of an addict, God forbid, it's like the, the person who doesn't really want to be doing their addiction. They don't really want to be engaging in that behavior, but yet that they're, they're, will at that time, their body at that time, is involved in all of these negative behaviors that they're doing. So they are, uh, you know, it's like we, we can't say they don't have ownership, that they don't take responsibility for their actions. An addict is responsible for their actions because they're the one running the show. So same thing here, when we talk about the fact that we're drawing God, and this is, is through our, the deeds of us, like that what we do when we transgress the will of God um, through our, our negative thoughts and things like that, then what happens is we actually draw God down into the impurity to the point that God, because ultimately it's not us that's running the show, it's God that's running the show. So we're forcing God, so to speak, to behave, to, to, to give vitality to these evil things. So it's like when we eat, uh, those cookies instead of 
that instead of making a nice supper for ourselves, yes, it's our choice to do that, but ultimately God is the one that is in control of our body. So not only are we making ourselves fall, but we're actually causing God to fall. We're causing God to give vitality to things, to actions that we should not be doing. And then, and so, so it's, it's like, we're kind of like holding God captive in a way. So uh, this explains a verse that we see from Shir Hashirim, chapter 7, verse 6, where it says, Melech Asul Beritim, which means a king is bound with gutters. So what does that mean? It's the gutters of the minds, is how the Tikkun Zohar explains this. Meaning this is the exile of the Shekhinah, as explained above. And so really, so this is something, this is the first stage of, of tshuva, is that a person should really try to arouse compassion for not only for themselves, but for this godly source, this for this Yotevavke that got that that came down into the pits of of uh, of Tuma, so which was caused by their actions. So it's interesting to me again that it's the emphasis isn't really it's not about us feeling guilty. It's not about us, about us being like oh, you know I'm I'm so bad. What did I do? But it's actually just like having a revelation about the effects of your action, having a, having a moment of insight, of sobriety, of realizing that anytime we go against the will of God, what we're really doing is we're forcing God to come down into exile with us and come down into the impurity and move us. Because again, we don't have control over our action because this is, you know, this is the whole idea of like, do we have free will? Do we not have free will? Maybe it's a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's important to get into is that while we have free will over our choices, so we can choose whether we want to do good or evil, ultimately, whatever we end up doing, that's God running the show. We don't have the power to move our bodies, to move our hands, to move our lips, even anything uh, without God, even our thoughts. They, this God is the one who is the driving force, the vitality behind all of these things. So we can, ch- all we can do is we're in the driver's seat in terms of choosing in which direction we want to go. So if we choose the wrong direction, if we choose the side of transgression, of going against the will of God, God's going to go with that. And God's going to vitalize our bodies in that way. And so when we realize this, then we realize that anytime we made a, a bad choice, when anytime we did something that was against the will of God, Nebuch forgot. Like it's like we actually forced God to to give vitality to these evil forces. And this is the whole idea of the exile of the Shekhinah. This is what it's all about. So now the altar goes on and he says the best time to really engage in this like meditation upon the compassion, having compassion for this uh, for this part of God that we brought down into, into the Tuma is during Tikkun Chatzot, is during this prayer that some people say at midnight. As it says in the Siddur, and a note there, and uh, you can look there at length, the Altarba says. And then the Altarba says that this explains the idea in Echa, which is from chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, Nafla rosheno, oina lanu which means the crown of our head is fallen, woe to us, for we have sinned, have sinned. So basically, so again, it's an allusion to the fact that it's like that our soul source, which is the crown of our head, the keter, in other words, which means crown, which is the will, which is like kind of the connection force between us and God. So this fell through our sin. So anytime we sin, we're, we're bringing the source of ourselves down with us. And this is why in Pirkei uh, Hechalos, which is a sefer written by the Kabbalist Rabbi Moshe Kodavero, then God is called Melech Aluv, a humiliated king, because it's there's nothing more humiliating than this. Like imagine how humiliating it would be 
if you'd be forced to do something that is against your will, and not only against your will, like something you don't want to do, but something totally contrary to your will. Like imagine if, let's say if you think about a politician that you really, really hate, and I, I won't name anybody specific, I'll let you guys think of that on your own. It could be on any side of any aisle. Imagine if that there was a politician that you hated with all of your guts. Imagine somebody so evil, an evil dictator even, or something like that. And imagine that you were, you were forced to be nice to them. You were forced to take them out to dinner. You were forced to give them presents. Like it's it's like it makes you nauseous even to think about this. And that's it's it's, it's extremely humiliating to do that to kiss their feet, you know. And that's basically what's happen happening anytime a person engages in a transgression is they're dragging God together with them to do this uh, and especially when a person really thinks about when a person really takes the time to meditate upon the greatness of God who fills all the worlds and surrounds all the worlds again mamala kalamin sovav kalamin we spoke about these terms earlier in previous episodes each person according to the the um the ability of their minds they're going to be very grieved by this. So really, so this is not this is not going to be a meditation that makes them happy. It's going to make it be a meditation that is going to again, it's not about guilt or shame necessarily, but it's about just feeling really like, "Oh, wow, this is what I did. I can't believe it." You know, just like again, if you think of that imagery going back to the book that I'm reading, that woman on the floor when she finds out that she's pregnant and she's ha- she has a baby inside of her, and she has this like wake up call of like, oh my gosh, I've been dragging my baby into this filth. What have I done? Like it's this like, what have I done moment of realization. Okay, so that's stage one. That's that's the first part of tshuva. Um, or, or the first, or to be clear, the altar doesn't actually call them stages. He says they're just two elements of tshuva. So it's possible that they actually happen simultaneously. I interpreted them as stages, but it could be it's just it's the ultra says to be clear, he says they're two two different elements. So the first element, as we said, is compassion. It's arousing this feeling of compassion for our godly source within ourselves for to for the for the fact that we've dra- dragged it down into such a low place. The second element now is to actually subdue and crush the klipa, the husks, and the sitra aha, the other side. Because um, its entire being is arrogance and disgustingness, like like it's really gross. So it's like once we realize, like when we realize, like oh wow, this is really uh, this behavior is really really bad. Then it's not enough to just feel compassion for for our soul. We have to do something about it. So we have to actually subdue it, and we have to crush it. We have to crush that force, crush that force of instant gratification, crush the addictive su- substance, get it away from us, basically. And the ultra is telling us that this this force, this force of the the sitra akhra, this force of the other side, this instant gratification, as I'm calling it, is the epitome of grossness and arrogance. It's a very arrogant type of thing. So again, if you go back to that experiment with the rats, it's like that lever, kind of like if that lever had a consciousness, it would know that it's like way more powerful than any of the other forces, the force of hunger, the force of the shocks that the rat has to get to to get to it. It's confident and it's way more than confident, it's arrogant. So we need to crush that arrogance. We need to crush that uh, that thing, that force that is exuding itself as being so powerful. And the Altar Rabbi now brings a verse here from Ovadja, chapter one, verse four, which which states this idea of, of this arrogance where it says, if you exalt yourself like an, like an eagle. So it's basically the altar is saying that anytime a person engages in any kind of transgression, it's not only is it just something negative, it's actually like the epitome of arrogance. So in order to crush this arrogance, in order to really get rid of it and, and 
like crush it to death to nullify it it needs to be uh subjugated it needs to be it needs to be really subdued and so uh the way that we do this how, how do we subdue it how do we crush it it's through a broken and contrite heart a sense of personal unworthiness uh, where we really feel the sense of lowliness. So this is where, yes, a little bit of shame does come in, even though our culture is so against shame. Here it is okay to feel a little bit of shame. It's like we need to feel just really low. We need to really um, humble ourselves. As it says in the Zohar on the Pasuk, and this Pasuk is from Tehillim 51, uh, chapter 51, verse 19, where it says, where it says offerings to Hashem are a broken heart and a, a, and a contrite heart. And what's interesting about this verse, and the altar is going to break this down, is that if you, you look at the Hebrew, it says Zivchei Elokim, which means like offerings to God, yes, but the name of God is very specific here. It's, it's the name of Elokim. It's not the Tetragrammaton. It's the name of Elokim. And so why? Because we know that there's a difference between, as we spoke about previously, between the two basic like fundamental names of God, the the name of Havaya, the Tetragrammaton, and the name Elokim. One big difference between them is that the name Havaya is an allusion to mercy. It's a, it's a, it's it's an it's when we want to talk about God in terms of His attribute of mercy, as being merciful, we talk about the name of Havaya, the Tetragrammaton, the Yud Kevavke. But when we want to talk about God's attribute of justice, that's more associated with the name Elohim. And so the ultra goes on to explain this. So he says that this is why specifically if you look at it, when it says Zivchei Elohim, the offerings to Elohim is a broken and contrite heart. Because, why? Because uh, we see that anytime it talks about bringing an offering of an animal, it always talks about bringing an offering to Havaya, to the Tetragrammaton, which is the aspect of Rachamim, of, of, uh, of compassion, of mercy. But when it comes to Elohim, it's not about bringing an animal, but, it's, but actually what we do is we bring a broken spirit because it's all about breaking that spirit of the impurity in the Sitra Achra, which is the idea of having a broken spirit. And how do we break the spirit of the Sitra Achra? This is broken, this happens through a broken heart. So through, through a lowly and, uh, and broken heart. So that's the end of the section. So just to kind of like bring it all together. So again, so we, we started talking about this idea of how it is that we can return, how we can do this lower tuba. And we said that there are basically two, two uh, aspects to it. Um, so you can think of them as stages or maybe they go hand in hand at the same time. It's not really clear, but basically the one aspect of tshuva is compassion. One aspect is really have compassion on the godly soul, on the godly part of yourself and on really God himself who you drag down God forbid, into the impurity through your transgressions. Because every time we do something that's against the will of God, we're dragging God into it as well. Because ultimately God vitalizes everything in the world, which means that when we're engaging in that transgression, God is vitalizing that transgression because it's not, it can't be vitalized from anything else. So that means we've like, we're forcing God to do things that are not only against his will, but that are like really against his will, that he really, really doesn't want to do. And that's so humiliating. So we should feel this sense of compassion for God, like, like for what we've done for him and for our godly souls. 
And uh, just like, again, you can think about that, that woman uh, when she found out that she was pregnant in the memoir I'm reading, where she just had this tremendous feeling of compassion for her baby, tremendous feeling of compassion for herself, really, ultimately, in this realization of where she fell to, of herself sitting on this bathroom floor, surrounded by vomit and, you know, and all of that. So that's one thing, one level. The other level is this feeling of subjugation, of this need to, this realization that in order to really heal, in order to really return, you need to subdue the Itzahara. You need to subdue the animal soul. You need to subdue the the spirit of the Sitra Akhar, these forces. You need to crush them and break them. And what that involves really is it starts on the inside. It involves a broken heart. It involves really humbling yourself, really coming to this place of shame. It's, it's really about feeling lowly, not getting outside of, of, uh, of the haughtiness that you were living your life before. When you're living your life in a way that is not with an awareness of God, you think you're so powerful. You think that you can do anything. You think you're running the show. But when, once you've realized that, no, it's actually God running the show, this can bring a profound sense of humility. It should bring a profound sense of humility and even shame uh, and and bring a person to a place of brokenness and perhaps this is what people mean by reaching rock bottom it's not so much about external forces bringing them to a sense of rock bottom but rather it's an internal process of really breaking yourself down to come to this lowly place so that's it for today and we're going to continue with this chapter tomorrow so stay tuned and i will speak to you then thanks for listening to the it is top podcast hosted by sarit switzer this podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Abraham Yitzhak ben Benyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Taught project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.